So Lewis told us earlier what to do when we make a mistake. But like I said before, I would never admit to a mistake. That's not true, though. I, I have admitted to many mistakes in my time. Just yesterday, I made a mistake where I gave some players, I gave a player some fantastic free information about what was in his opponent's sideboard because he appealed the deck deckless problem penalty Toby had given his opponents. Yeah. Oops. That was weird. Awkward. I made a mistake. But what I like to do instead of making mistakes, is prevent myself from making mistakes. I've made lots of mistakes, and through those mistakes I have learned how to preemptively stop those mistakes. And so this seminar is titled, How Not to Screw Up Your Tournament. A lot of this is directed at head judging. A lot of you will head judge Friday Night Magic, a lot of you will head judge Grand Prix Trials, you go on to head judge PTQs, you go on to head judge Star City Legacy Opens, and there are pitfalls. There are pitfalls, especially when you're head judging your first tournament. It's scary. I'll tell you that. It's scary if you let it be scary. And when you're scared, when you're worried, when you're that scared guy, let's say you're playing Magic and you're scared, you're going to make a mistake. And so rule number one of not screwing up your tournament is relax. People are here to have fun. If you're not having fun, guess what they're not going to do? They're not going to have fun either. And your judges aren't going to have fun. Players aren't going to have fun. And you're not going to have fun because you're more prone to make mistakes. That doesn't help. The other thing, one of the other things you can do well before your tournament starts, there's this thing humans need. And we forget about it sometimes, especially when we travel to magic events. I call it sleep. I am an expert on this topic. I know about sleep deprivation. I know what the human body can and cannot endure. Something about going to foreign countries and just for now three? Yeah. You, caffeine does not replace sleep. I learned that in Amsterdam. So you need, if you, if you do not sleep before your tournament, you will make a lot more mistakes. Make sure you sleep. But there are a couple more mechanical things you can do before your tournament to make sure your tournament actually goes well. Let's say you're interacting with a local tournament organizer and you're going to head judge a Grand Prix trial. Your tournament organizer is likely to say, okay, for your tournament, I've gotten you two judges. I got Adam White and Ralph Colby for you, for your GPT, to help you, head, to help you judge. You need to know how many judges you have, how big you, and, and how big the event is going to be so you can actually allocate your judge resources properly. You need to know how to use Adam White, how to use Ralph Colby to actually, to actually have an effect on this tournament. Maybe Adam has scorekeeping experience and Ralph doesn't. Maybe Ralph has done 100 deck checks and Adam has done three. Do you know something about these judges? If not, Get in contact with them. Find out what their experience is so that you know what kind of tasks you can expect to give them at this tournament. I've gone off script, so give me a moment. <laughs> All right. Um, one of the things that is important to know before your event is how big you expect it to be because events of different sizes do have different needs. Let's say, for example, this Grand Prix trial is being run in the local store. 
around here, for example. The trial's for Denver, so not that far away. Realistically, some people might want to go to Denver. So people are going to show up for this Grand Prix trial. Um, a faraway destination, if it was for Grand Prix Kuala Lumpur, your attendance might be lower, for example. Just, just to name one thing. The format is sealed deck. People don't need a deck to play, so that might draw more people in. It's on a random Saturday, so people might wander in and play in the tournament. There are a lot of factors that will tell you how big or small your tournament is. And so that when you interact with your TO and your TO says, okay, you have this guy and this guy, you can either say, I need more people. I'm going to have 200 players for my tournament. Or, I don't need that many people. That guy's going to be sitting on his butt. Um, but in order to avoid having a huge problem at your tournament and not having enough judges, you need to communicate with your TO and say, I don't think this tournament's going to be that big. Or, I think this tournament's going to be huge. Ah! You can have all the judges you want. And if you don't allocate them properly, it'll feel like you're understaffed. Because if you give the guy with no scorekeeping experience the 200-player PTQ to scorekeep, you're going to have a lot of scorekeeping snafus to clean up in the middle of the day, most likely. Scorekeeping snafus are pretty much the worst thing for your players, for your judges, for you, because they are time-consuming and they have an enormous effect on the tournament. So in order to avoid screwing up your tournament, if you have an experienced scorekeeper, either have them scorekeep or have them help someone else scorekeep so that you can have another experienced scorekeeper in the future. And if you don't have one of those, maybe you need to train someone to scorekeep before the event. Maybe you need to find a time to do that. Maybe someone needs to come in early. If you have level zero judges working with you that you need to, need to be trained, you have to know at what level of their training they are. Even if you're just head judging and you're not doing the mentoring, you need to know what level, what level of competency, competency they're at. Because then you, then you can know, okay, I need, you know, I need Paul to shadow this person all day and be with them on rulings and you know, make sure they're doing everything right. Or is it an L0 that's close to the end of their term? You can say, okay, this, this judge can actually be out on the floor making rulings him or herself. Because one of the things about inexperienced judges, as we all know, they're more prone to making mistakes. My first PTQ, I was really excited about a ruling I gave. I was like, I got this one right. I went to Shukan, Eric Shukan, level three from Massachusetts. I said, Eric, I did this. I did this ruling. He said, "Really, really, tell me about it." Okay, so, so. I <laughs> say, Eric. So, so this guy, he flashback momentary blink, and the other guy, he casts Venture Shaper Savant, and he's like, "I, I, I bounce your, I bounce your momentary blink," and they're like, "Where's the blink go?" I'm like, "Goes to your hand, doofus." <laughs> And Eric Shukan's like, you're going to have to go and find these players and uh, fix your mistake. Because no one, we were understaffed, and there was no one to shadow me at my first PDQ. And so I made a mistake that because I could not remember what these players looked like, I could not remember the table number because I was a nervous level zero, thought he had just done something awesome, had repercussions for the rest of the tournament because that guy probably based some of his play, those two guys probably based some of their plays for the rest of the day on that ruling I made. So if you, so you have to know for your judges around. So 
The question is, though, how do you know what to do? How do you know what, what tasks need to be done by your judges? How do you know what things need to get done in an event, especially if you're a first-time head judge? It's like, well, I've never had judged before, so how do I know what I'm supposed to do? How do I know what needs to get done? Well, you've run, you've been at tournaments. You've been, you've been involved in tournaments. One of the things you can do, again, is prepare ahead of time. One time before I scorecapped a PTQ that Ricky Hayashi was judging, he asked me to make a list of all the things that I needed to do round by round as scorekeeper before the event and send it to him so that I knew exactly everything that he needed me to do. This is something, and you know, that was it was a good exercise for me because it made sure I need, knew what I needed to do every round. Now, I'm not saying you need to do this to all your judges, but what I am saying is if you make a list of all the things that need to happen in your tournament, you know, pass out product, deck swap, count deck lists, you know, give out deck list errors, do deck checks, you know, all the things that, all the tasks that you need to assign, you know, on a round by round basis or whatever in the tournament. If you have that as sort of a list beforehand, then you know what you need to, I'm sorry, what you need to assign your judges to. So that's a lot of stuff that I've just mentioned that you can do before you actually get to your event. Is there anything else if you're, that in your experience, uh, I'm going to open the floor for a minute, that you do before an event to prepare? To make sure things go well. Yeah. Talking to other fellow head judges. Yeah. Gleaning from their experience about um, the, the venue itself, the type of tournament that you're walking into, what type of tournament it is. There's a well of knowledge just in this room alone. Yeah. And you should take full advantage of that. I, before yesterday's event, I emailed Seamus and Ricky and had a good chat with them about... You know, and had to talk with Ricky about like things I was going to need to do. One thing that I like to do yeah. before a tournament is to um, imagine myself from a player's perspective and say, okay, when I, when I go to this tournament, what are the things that, have been, that I'm looking at? I'm looking at, I'm looking at pairing, I'm looking at pairing boards, I'm looking at table numbers, and I'm looking at match lists. Um, and that's one way that I use to remember all of these. These details, which you know are easy to forget about, um, but very important. Try to try to put those in my mind before I actually go to the site. That's awesome. Right. Uh, I like to go over any deck list I can find in the format, go over cards if it's limited, and see if I can see problem interactions. For example, on standard salary. Yep. Interactions. Um, the second thing I actually like to do is go on IRC and just say, I have an event coming out, I'm so nervous about it, and just get other judges' inputs, like a has, I said earlier. Yeah, if you talk to other judges, if you're nervous about it, even if even if they don't necessarily have anything, you know, to teach you that would j directly help you in the event, talking to other judges, talking to your friends, shockingly, often makes people feel better. I know that's weird, that's crazy, but it does. Yes. Um, this is true, especially like through these events, events, but other us too. Uh, having a very quick meeting with your judges. Tournament actually starts yep. to discuss things like problem interactions that you expect to see. Uh, you know, it really 
Snake's like, this card's already been eradicated before the set is even out, and you need to know about this. Um, things of that nature that they may not expect, but that you have become aware of. And then being aware of those things before the tournament actually starts, so you can talk Cool. Michael. Practicing your beginning of tournament speech, I found also, mm. is also big help. I say this because the first time that I experienced the head judging uh, um, thing, there was a very big awkward pause because my speech went missing and I did not know what to do. And I think if I got time to know more about what to say, I could have at least said something intermittently as opposed to a very long awkward pause yeah. of passing out products. It is important. One one thing that you'll often see head judges doing is they'll write their speech down beforehand, or at least you know an outline of it so they know what to say. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you might think, you know, well, okay, but I've judged 500 tournaments. I know exactly what I'm going to say at every tournament. I was like that once. <laughs> and then I went to Pro Tour San Juan, and I was I was. The, the XO, the assistant to the head judge, whatever you want to call it, uh, for Sheldon. And you know what he did before the start of the tournament, before he made his head judge announcements? He wrote his, he wrote his speech down. He had, he had notes. What's that? It's crazy. And so if, 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 if Sheldon is writing his speech down, I was like, well, I, this is probably something I should be doing too. So... It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are. It's something that the more, the less you have to think about it, the better it will go every single time. Because if you have to think, what is the next thing I'm going to say? There's going to be this moment that sounds like this in the middle of your speech. And that's when players tend to tune out. All right, let's move on to things that you can do actually at your tournament. To make your tournament go better. Peter Manning says yay. <laughs> um, so what are you going to do when you get to your tournament? Well, you've got these other, these other judges, most likely, if you're head judging. You, they're useful. They're, they're, they can actually do things for you. Um, Toby Elliott once told me, you're being implicated. Um, and he was giving me feedback after a PTQ. And he was explaining to me sort of the role of the head judge in a PTQ and how best to do, how best to assign tasks. And he was basically saying the PTQ is kind of the, the, the PTQ. The head judge is kind of the field general of the PTQ. You get a task, you assign it to someone, you know, you, at, like, and you say, go, I need you, Jared, to do a deck check with Sean right now, you know, or, you know, this round. So get out on the floor and do a deck check. And so round by round, as you have tasks, you say, all right, you know, and this round, Michael and Andy, I need you guys to do a deck check this round. And Jared, you're going to do paper. And Sean, you're going to be on the floor. So round by round, just being clear about what the tasks are and not assuming, oh, well, Jared and Sean, they, they, they did a deck check last round. So, I mean, I, I, I know they'll assume to do a deck check. Again, this round, that's not, that's not good enough. You need to assign tasks in a pretty specific way, especially at a small event. Once you've got like team leads and whatnot, it becomes a different story, but that's another seminar. Um, when you ask someone to do a task, you have to know what level of difficulty that task has. If it's something like, 
you know, I need you to put up parents, you don't really need to check in with that person to make sure they've put up parents. Number one, you can probably see whether or not they've done it. And number two, if, the, if you've given someone a task, put up pairings and they don't do it, then I don't, I don't know, I don't know why. The concern what, is not with yeah. the difficulty. Exactly. The concern is not with the difficulty of the task anymore. <laughs> the concern is with, I, I, I don't even know what the concern is with <laughs> at that point. It's very mysterious. But let's say, let's say, you know, I ask an experience, you know, a, an experience level zero, but someone who's, you know, not certified yet, someone who doesn't have quite the same experiences you know, say like an L1 that's been at a lot of PTQs, to give a, to go to a decklist error table and say, you know, you have like 58 cards, let's figure this out. You Maybe you want to check in with that judge after the task and say, hey, you know, how did that, how did that go? You know, describe to me, you know, what happened. Check in with that judge and figure out what they did and why they did it and to make sure that they're on track. And if they did, then awesome. Your, your event is going great. And if not, your event is probably not broken, but this is a learning opportunity for this judge and for you to say, okay, well, you know, A, maybe, maybe I gave, you know, maybe you gave them the wrong task, probably not, but it is a learning experience for them because you can say, all right, so in this situation, what I, w what I would have done is body law. And so checking in with those judges will prevent them from making that same mistake in the future. What's up, Jared? With some tasks like uh, assigning a deckless penalty, mm -hmm. I actually kind of like to preemptively do that yeah. with judges and say, so walk me through how you're going to handle this. Absolutely. Rather than checking in afterwards because then they can make the error talking to you and then they don't make it out on the floor. That's a great point. That is something that I also do that I, for some reason, did not think of when I was writing my seminar. So, yes, Jared makes a great point. Um, checking, if you are worried that a task might not go right just completely cold, just, yeah, practice it with your judge. Say, hey, you know, how are you going to handle this situation? Um, during the round, when you're, when you've, when the judges are done with their like start of round, assigned tasks, and so forth, there is this whole business of walking the floor for judge calls and so on and so forth. Um, one thing that happens a lot at larger events is that we get distracted. We can get distracted by our friends. We can get distracted by other judges. We can get distracted by, ooh, hey, that's a shiny card over there. What is that? I want to look at it. Um, and to some extent, like, we need to, judges on the floor need to stay entertained. They need to stay entertained so that their minds stay active. But at the same time, you know, there, there are two ways for me to stay entertained. Let's say I'm a judge and I'm walking the floor and I'm, I'm having a conversation with Andy about his EDH deck. You know, and the tournament's over here and we're talking. And that's fine. I can see the tournament from here. And while I'm talking, even though I'm talking to Andy... I'm not distracted because my, I'm still on the tournament. My eyes and hopefully my mind are still on the tournament. But then we have this scenario where I'm talking to Andy and the tournament's over here and my, my mind is on, I don't know what, my eyes are not on the tournament. So there's a certain level of distraction 
versus engagement, I suppose, would be the terms I might use, where, you know, my mind is in... Talking to Andy is helping me, say, not fall asleep, but my eyes are on the tournament versus I'm turned around. So make sure you're making sure your judges are engaged as opposed to distracted when they're talking to someone or looking at something is an important thing to do. Um, and then, of course, as the round comes to a close, we have to keep the tournament moving. Um, one of the mistakes that I know I used to make when I was a much less experienced judge was that I sort of had this mindset where if I was sitting at a match, that would make the players play faster. This is not true. Oftentimes, just sitting at a match will make the players play slower because we have, oh God, there's a judge right there. I'm gonna, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, make, a, I don't wanna make an error, so I'm gonna, uh, I don't know. So making sure that the judges, it, you have to make sure that your judges know that watching a match is not sufficient, to, is not always sufficient to keep slow play from happening, to keep the tournament from dragging on and on. Because the worst tournament is the one that drags on and on and on and on and on. Um, Tasha has something to say about Another that. thing that's worth noting there is that sitting next to a match is not the same as watching a match. Absolutely not. Sitting next to a match and watching a match are two different things. And... So we, there, there is sort of the category of being near a match and then watching a match for slow play. And you have to make sure that your judges know, especially, again, the less experienced ones, that watching a match for slow play is a pretty active process because you have to actually pay attention to the game state. You have to pay attention to the players, what they're doing. And sometimes in the case of making sure there's not stalling going on, why they're doing it. Why are you reading that card for the third time? Why have you picked up your graveyard six times? Um, what's that? I said don't care, slow play. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Don't care, slow play. But um, There's also these things that these little pieces of paper that fly around the tournament, match slips. Those are Especially at the end of the round, sometimes we have two players who are sitting and playing a game and they've got a match slip next to them. But what, what you might not notice just walking by, walking by those players, is that that match slip has writing on it. And the match slip is sitting there with writing on it, doing nothing, not going to the scorekeeper. So one of the things you want to mention to your judges is, hey, pick up those match slips if they're just sitting there doing nothing. And also, something that is good to remind your players of, speaking of match slips, is just remind them to check their match slips before they turn them in. This is just a small, unrelated tip, but match slip errors are kind of the worst match slip players that players, players make because players feel, A, stupid, and B, frustrated because that's not what happened in the match. I didn't, I didn't lose. But you wrote that you lost. So all I have is this piece of paper that says that you lost. Yes, Dr. Um, another thing that's worth noting, if your judges are picking up match results slips and they're at the table with the player, mm -hmm. don't just ninja the match results slip. Make sure to check with the players that it's been filled up correctly, yeah. as long as they're sitting there. 
because as a scorekeeper, I get really frustrated when I have players come up and say, oh, hang on, I didn't send this match results because yeah. the judge ninja didn't away. The judge took it from me. The, the, yeah, there's, there's a, there, there are certain levels of, of work in there. There's, at, at the very least, the question should be, hey guys, can I take this? Or, or if you if you think the players are barely paying attention to you, you can even confirm the match result with the player. Be like, okay, so you know, you know, it, you know, there's a match that's sitting next to Annie and Sean, and they're playing EDH after their match, and they're not paying attention to me. They don't care. They're done with their match. You know, can I take this? Yeah, whatever. It's probably going to be their answer. So if they're not going to be paying attention to you, perhaps okay, Sean wins 2-0, Andy's dropping, and you know, you might get a. I'm dro- no, I don't want to drop. I don't want to drop. That might be there. Might be an issue there. So you know, it's good. It's good to check sometimes. Um, speaking of keeping the tournament moving quickly, you can do all this stuff to keep the tournament moving quickly. But especially as a new head judge, one of the pitfalls that can stop your tournament from moving quickly is is involved with appeals. Appeals can be hard, especially in situations of player communications where one player says one thing and the other player says another thing, and you have to figure out sort of where you stand in the communication world of, you know, who's right, who's, whose side you see as more accurate. Um, those appeals can get slow and bogged down, and you can sort of get into a circle of asking the same questions over and over again. At some point, in order to prevent your tournament from dragging on forever and ever, and giving a 15-minute time extension to two guys who had a miscommunication at the end of the round, you actually have to make a decision. And you're never going to have perfect information. You're almost, well, almost never going to have perfect information. So at some point, you actually just have to say, all right, I have as much information as I can get out of this without taking the next hour to figure this out. This is my ruling. And... I know my first appeal took like seven minutes longer than it should have because I forgot. Oh, hey, the rest of the tournament. So when you're when you're doing an appeal, the more efficiently you can do it, the better customer service you're providing to the entire room. There are a couple other things that you need to do at the tournament that aren't just round by round. Most of the time, you'll need to make sure your judges get fed. Gosh, yeah. Garrett says whatever. Food. Um, likely, likely is not the TO will be paying for paying for some food, giving giving your judges a meal stipend. Um, make sure that you get food. Make sure that you, the process of getting food starts before people are hungry. Because if you wait until people are hungry to get food, by the time food gets there, your judges are going to be the walking dead. Um, oftentimes, getting food falls under the purview of level zeros. Um, Peter Manning likes to joke. Where's Peter? And it's not, it's not completely a joke either. Um, not, not completely a joke. That getting food, getting the food order right, is the sign of a good level zero. <laughs> and while this is to some extent a joke... It is also a test of someone's ability to follow directions and make sure that something gets done right. So that can often be a cute little thing to do. Um, 
make sure you know if your judges have allergies or dietary needs because that's something to keep in mind. For example, today, I ordered a bunch of pizza and forgot that Jess can't have cheese. So, I felt stupid, um, in short. Not that I would ever admit to a mistake. But do make sure you know and remember, you know, what the dietary needs of your judges are. Uh, make sure your judges get to eat, and make sure your judges take breaks. Uh, Jeff Morrow knows that I used to be the guy. I used to be. I used to. I used to have the hero complex, didn't I? And Toby Elliott will tell you that I had the same thing. But... <laughs> <laughs> I was never here. <laughs> Eric, you need a break. No, no, no. I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I can do it, Jeff. I can do it. Take that guy off the floor. God damn it. Sit him down. Sit her down. Whoever. Make sure your judges take breaks. The best way you can make sure to take judges... Take their breaks. <laughs> make sure to, that judges take breaks. Can't even say it. It's twofold. It's so hard for me to think about it. No, it's twofold. One... When you, when you decide that a judge needs a break, it's not a question. It's oftentimes just not a question. Like, do you, do you want a break is, is often the wrong thing to say. You know, it's, 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 it's often, hey, Alexi, it's break time. So uh, see you in half an hour. And two, take your own breaks. Being the head judge does not exempt you from breaks. It does not mean that you have a magical ability to not take breaks. You still need a break, just as much as, or sometimes more than your floor judges do, because of all these things you've been doing that I've been talking about. So if you take a break and you make it look like, hey, I take breaks too, your judges will be like, well, if he takes breaks, if she takes breaks, I should probably take breaks too. Adam was Adam looked like he had something to say, but now he's shaking his head. Okay. Um, also, make breaks look like fun. Talk to other judges during breaks. Encourage discussion during other during breaks. If you have a break with a judge, with another judge, and that and your break is ending, and another judge is coming in to take a break with, you know, like swapping out with you, you know. Mention, try to mention something interesting at the very end of your conversation so that they can have something fun to talk about. Try and make their breaks fun, too. I have, I have one last random tip after Jared says something. Uh, one quick thing on breaks. One of the things that keeps judges from taking breaks is a sense of responsibility to the tournament. If I step away, who's going to cover my responsibilities? So one of the things I've found is that structuring breaks so that the person doesn't feel like they're away for time when they have something that they need to get done uh, is a very good way to make it more acceptable to those hero types yep. to take the breaks. Um, and emphasizing when you're asking them to take breaks or when you're giving them a break uh, that, hey, you know, come back at X, you know, that's when I'll need you for Y. Right. Means they, they're hearing from you, the next time I'm going to need you is here, and I expect you to be there, but I won't need you until then. And so it gives them, uh, gives their conscience permission to take that break 
rather than just feeling like I'm being taken away from something I should be doing. Yeah, bookending it, bookending that break with with defined tasks. That can also be a good way to start a break. Is okay, you know, now that you're done with your deck check, you know, it's time for you to take a break. I am I'm going to need you back before before the end of the round to do end of round procedure or whatever. Michael. Now, if you're the only judge working at a specific event, let's yeah. say that you are the lone warrior on a hundred-person event. Okay. How so definitely. How do you manage your breaks? Okay, I will tell you how I manage my breaks when I am the only judge running my hundred-player event. I just I take a break. I just do it. I take a break, and if my break gets interrupted by a judge call, okay, I will sit somewhere where I can see the tournament. But I'll sit down and eat my burrito or whatever, you know, look at my iPhone, think about something that's not Magic the Gathering, and if there's a judge call and my break gets interrupted, okay, I can still take more break after the judge call. Um, if you're running, like, a competitive REL event... You know, a grand free trial, something like that. You know, a 30-player GPT and you're the only one. If you're running an event like that, it's often going to be small enough that you can take a break, like, you know, with 35 minutes left in the round or whatever. You know, maybe you take a judge call or two during your break, but you have a nice sit-down where you're not walking the floor. But you're in view of the players so that they know you exist. It may also be that in that type of event, you're not going to have a half an hour yep. contiguous break, but you need to be more aware of during the event itself, get off your feet for a little while. When you're light on judge calls, uh, take time where you are stationary, thinking, thinking about something else. You're going to be focused on the event for the whole day, but you don't have to be walking around it the whole time and making sure and, and acting uh, out on the floor the whole time. Just be aware of what you need in order to be at your best at the end of the day. One last tiny pro tip that I find is often true. This was not an issue yesterday because of the way Star City Games structured this tool, which I thought was very clever. Um... The the drop list is the bane of the is often the bane of the scorekeeper. The drop list is is this weird thing where players write down that they want to drop on this sheet of paper, and the scorekeeper puts in all the results, and he or she says, "All right, time for round three, pairings." And then there's still this sheet of paper sitting there. This has happened to me as scorekeeper and as head judge more times than it should have. The way I solve this problem is I use, I, I cut up, a, I made a little template for drop slips. Instead of the drop list, I have little slips the players fill out and drop in the result slips box. That way they have the same sort of mental priority as a result slip. It's like, oh, I need to enter this drop slip. Yesterday, Tasha had a drop list and it had, I noticed that every drop, every drop that was put on there, when it got processed, Tasha initialed it. And so that... Highlighter is yeah. the tech, because you can tell very yep. easily looking at this 
I don't have it highlighted. Yeah, I don't have it highlighted. Some way of physically, you know, saying, you know, just like kinesthetically and visually reminding yourself, like, I need to sign these or I need to highlight these. And then, oh, I got those. They're signed or highlighted. I'm out of material. So, <laughs> what else do you guys find is important for avoiding pitfalls, for avoiding mistakes at events? Simon? I guess I got two things. I mean, one thing you, you didn't mention if you've got a, a team of judges, mm -hmm. you didn't mention maybe talking to them before the event, find out what they'd like to do. Yes. Um, when they'd like to take their breaks, uh, things like that. One thing I do try to make sure I ask judges before I start an event is did you have breakfast? Yeah. Because that way I know who to send on lunch early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing was um, that's fun, of course. Uh, oh, when you take your own breaks how you you know need to make everybody under your command as it were uh, aware that your chain of command has shifted while you're on break and who's in charge. Yeah. How to handle. I almost forgot that one yesterday. <laughs> Phil Thorson was kind enough to remind me, oh, hey, when you take breaks, who's in charge? Yeah. So make sure you set, set up a system whereby someone else is in charge. And let that person know that if you're taking your break and something terrible happens and they need you, they can come get you. Be accessible to that person. I have, I myself have interrupted both Jeff Morrow and Ricky Hayashi during their breaks so that they could disqualify someone. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is important for the head judge to be accessible for something like that during that time. Paul? Um, one thing is, um, I guess you can make sure that you all prepare paperwork and stuff beforehand. Like if you're running a Grand Prix trial or something like that that requires a deck list and deck check. Just make sure you have your deck list printed out. Or if you're running a sealed tournament, make sure you have your lunch bags ready. Yeah. Maybe that's something you can also assign to one of your level zeros, level ones before the event. That can often be a TO responsibility. Absolutely. But it's definitely something to talk to the TO about and say, Is we're running this type of event. In general, I'm used to having X, Y, and Z prepared beforehand. Do you have it? Would you like assistance preparing? But knowing that before you go in is definitely important. Communicating with your TO about stuff like that is is just like it's it's paramount because otherwise you walk into a room with an expectation of Y and you end up with not Y. You end up with Y prime, and uh, <laughs> that's bad. Another thing about uh, preparing paperwork is that if you have a large event that might have like pickup events, or if you're running a limited event where you might have multiple deck lists per player, color coding is the tap. Color coding is very good. Something that I should probably do more of. Um, yes, color coding, and something else to sort of add on to that. If you know you're going to be running side events. To your to your main tournament, make sure that like make sure you have the staff for that, and make sure you have a plan for side events. Not oh, uh, hmm, Twitter Giant starts in five minutes. Hmm, uh, uh, you do it. If you if you have a plan for who's going to run that event and why they should be the person to run that event, 
it will go all the better and they will actually learn something from it. Anything else? Sweet. Okay. I hope I helped some. <laughs>